Welcome to the New Zionist Podcast, a brand new show from New Zionist Congress. I'm Noah Shufatinsky. I'm Isabella Hazan. And I'm Blake Flayton. We're your three hosts, and we're here to offer a new, young, and authentic take on all things Zionism, Jewish culture, Israel, and politics. This week, we'll be discussing the Free Chava movement, Ben and Jerry's, international athletic drama, and more. But first, what is New Zionist Congress? We at NZC are here to build a space where young people can meet to discuss their passion for Jewish self-determination, learn about Jewish history, Israeli history, and contemporary Jewish issues. In the name of every Jew who has ever lit a candle in the darkness, we're here to build a bonfire. So join our community of young and empowered Judeans and make sure to follow us on Twitter at New Zionist and on Instagram at New Zionist Congress. And please make sure to sign up and become an official member at NewZionist.org. I'm a proud part of the diaspora. In my heart, a whole Jerusalem and Africa. Kicked aside of our land and started gassing us. Till we put our foot down, cause we had enough. Check out the flag that I'm waving. Two blue stripes and a huge star, David. Check out the flag that I'm waving. Keep shooting rockets, but you never gonna take it. Objects in the mirror may be closer than they appear. And by objects in the mirror, I mean two things Mashiach and also Rosh Hashanah. <laughs> Because Rosh Hashanah this year is so early, and I am not mentally prepared to deal with that because I have not yet recovered from my per- from my Purim hangover. Like it's been that short, and that also means that Hanukkah is Thanksgiving. <sighs> Personally, I think that Thanksgiving is an atrocity because I don't want to eat sufgaryot and eat latkes with my turkey and stuffing because I like to keep them separated in my brain. I like to categorize them. And I also like it when it's Christmasica because then everyone is in the festive spirit together. Also, I associate the high holidays with fall and having Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur be in early September when it's still hot as hell out and I'm still in shorts and a t-shirt is confusing to me. Yeah, it doesn't work for me mentally. I just can't. It doesn't feel like it's the right vibe. It doesn't feel like Rosh Hashanah vibes. But what do you do on Rosh Hashanah? We would always have these like wig snatching, very high camp uh, dinners where, you know, we'd have a round challah. We'd have the whole deal. We'd have apple chicken, apple everything, um, lots and lots of dessert. My grandma would make rugelach. Um, it was always like a fun little festive thing. Noah, what do you do? Like, what are your holidays like? I mean, we have like the regular, I mean, I moved around a lot growing up. So there were times where we'd go to synagogue often. There were times where we were in places where there weren't like huge Jewish communities. So, um, a lot of our traditions also like revolve around like being at home with the family, having a bunch of food, of course, on Rosh Hashanah, around Chala and all this. Um, and yeah, just like enjoying time with the family and, and it's nice to be all together. How about you? Same. A lot of family comes over. So um, hopefully this year, there won't be COVID and there won't be so many restrictions and everybody could come. But my favorite holidays, whether it was Pesach, Rosh Hashanah, or all those big holidays were when I was younger. My grandmother used to host it at her house um, when she was still alive. And she has seven children. All of those children have like five to like six children and they come with all of their friends and then they're like, grandparents and it was there was so many people and so much food it was such a vibe um those are those are used to be my favorite holidays and now it's also still fun a lot of family comes over I would walk to synagogue with my dad I'm excited oh apples and honey 
We, my growing up, we used to, everyone used to pass out apples and honey at school, in elementary school. Yeah. With the little straws, the honey straws. Honey straws, exactly. Are, that you have to, yeah. you have to bite down on toward the end and really. I was always really confused by them. It was like, <laughs> it was become like a mess. And it, yeah, I was like, I don't, I don't even, you have to open it as a whole thing to, yeah. So I wasn't a huge fan of them, to be honest, but it was worth it. I, I remember sometimes we get creative. We'd like stick it into the apple and like try and fill the apple with honey. I was really, ooh, really younger. So. Ooh. Now I'm actually excited for Rosh Hashanah. Okay, crazy. Oh. My mom, she would get obviously the fish head because to be Le Roche yes. Zanav. Of course. Okay, okay. but of recently course. she started getting a lamb head. And what it's traumatic. F- what it's the traumatic. Fuck? My Wait, dad. A yes. severed lamb head? They set the, the butcher like likes my mom. He's very friendly. She goes often. So whenever it's the holiday, she goes, oh, like for you, like just for she you. She gives her a lamb's head, like a decapitated sheep. On I honestly like never looked at it and no one looks at it. It's just there covered. And that uh, is my some da- my- pagan, like No, but like sleeping is fish. Scary. Oh, no, it's no, not no. a goat head, I guess. No, it's like the village les So sometimes they have like different heads of different animals. It's just a different tradition, different diaspora experience. I can't wait to roll up to my next Rosh Hashanah dinner with a severed lamb head and just be like, what? This is Judaism. If you have a problem, you can leave. Like, this is, this is, this is halakha. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if it's like a, a Jewish thing, but I know I've, like people will put like a lamb head in plof. It's like the Russian or like Bukharian or Kafkazi thing. It's like all the rice with all the meat in there and they'll, Sometimes put like a, I've seen people put like a lamb head in there. I have never seen this before. And I'm kind of grateful. <laughs> <laughs> I had my 21st birthday this weekend. Happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you. Um, it's been a time and a half. Um, listen, and I would just like to say, I would like to pride myself on every single day when I woke up over the past five days, regardless of how hungover, regardless of how rode hard and put away wet I was, regardless of how tired and cranky I was, I still managed to put on tefillin. Because when I was gifted tefillin uh, a couple weeks ago by a very nice community member in Crown Heights, I made a commitment. I was like, I'm not, this is not just going to sit there. Like, I'm going to actually like do this. And last week was no exception, or I guess this past weekend was no exception. Except on Tisha B'Av, there was a rule about tefillin that I was not aware of. Um, so I kind of uh, messed up that. But listen, Hashem forgives. He forgets. And next year will be different. <laughs> That's all that matters. That's amazing. Apparently, you're not supposed to wrap tefillin on Tisha B'Av. Or you're supposed to do it um, on a cer- at a certain time. Um, hold on. I will find out right now. Tefillin after 1.45 p.m. Because then, before then, because of Tisha B'Av, we are in a state of avelus. Morning. It's part of the journey, you know, the learning experience. See, maybe if you didn't commit to putting them on every morning, you wouldn't have even found that out. Listen, I'm on a journey. I'm on a, I'm on an educational uh, uh, quest to 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 better my understanding of of Torah. <laughs> it's good. No, it's really amazing. But uh, speaking of Judaism and you know observant Jews and. Holidays and no more Orthodox. Okay, I'm pushing the 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 transition. That's okay. Transition, transition. 
Transition. Speaking of stuff happening in the Orthodox world, the Free Chava movement went viral and it brought to consciousness Jewish mainstream cons- consciousness get abuse and how common it is. A get is a Jewish divorce document. So technically both men and women have to agree, but it's the man who officially gives the get. Um, it was originally instituted to help women so women can stay protected um, once they're divorced and taken care of. But times are changing and uh, so does halakha need to change and evolve. Men are able to withhold the get. And I really want to emphasize this is extremely frowned upon in the Orthodox community. In Israel, actually, it is uh, not just frowned upon, but assets can be frozen and there's serious legal actions that a man could face who um, decides not to give a get. So Frichava is a woman who is, uh, you know, I'm not going to say a victim, but her husband has not given her her get for many years. His name is Natali, uh, Naftali Sherbani. And he obviously follows the movement. And it was so intense following following the Instagram account, Frichava and Dalia's account, because he was on the run and he was hiding in different synagogues. What specific action is the Frichava movement doing? Yeah, so the Frichava movement will take on Jewish women's stories and they'll blast it and amplify it. And they'll showcase the get abusers, those who are withholding the get. And I think that's the only way to for women to get their get. And I think they've had pictures of the men um, on trucks drive by Jewish communities saying, this is this guy, he hasn't given a get. They've really, um, they're really holding the men accountable. They're going to their synagogues and, and you know, rallying outside. They're organizing rallies. They're mobilizing. They're speaking out about it. They're posting about it. They're having a lot of social media campaigns. And um, another thing that's great is that they're doing things that are, that can prevent women from being at the other end of not receiving a get. Like, uh, there's a lot of um, legal things that are happening where it's teaching women how to ensure that they could get their get and that it's in the marriage contract and they're coaching about it. Um, they're speaking to a lot of rabbis too who are in high uh, rabbinical courts who definitely heard of this and who are definitely ruling on it. So already there's a lot of pressure from rabbinical authorities for men to give their get. Like in the case, um, Broker versus Markowitz in Canada, um, the case cited the Orthodox Union and a bunch of... Um, Orthodox organizations here in Canada that were against the get abuser. So just really reinforcing that get abuse is not okay in the community. And those actions that lead to that is what the Free Chava movement is doing. I feel like that's, it's really good to see that there's also like that raising awareness, but also like those active steps that you mentioned and how they all contribute to it. Because also it's like getting, trying to get rid of the stigma for people to speak up about the situations that they're in for women. And also, it's almost like reversing the stigma, like driving around a neighborhood with someone saying, like, this is an abuser and this is something that is generally frowned upon. I think definitely, like, does stuff to actually um, go on the offensive and make that cultural change. What is What does it benefit a man from withholding a get document? Like, what what does he get out of that? He doesn't get anything. It just—he literally does not get anything because— he can still get remarried. It doesn't affect him. All it does is it affects Jewish women because Jewish women cannot go and get remarried. Oh. And if you're an Orthodox Jewish woman, you have to still cover your hair. And there's so many things that go along with it. So it leaves women in this, this awkward spot. So the case that I read, Broker versus Markowitz, my, like my first year of law school, um, she couldn't get remarried. And um, I w- I'm not so orthodox, but I'm not even sure I would get remarried civilly if I, was, if I didn't have my get. Because it's something that's super important, especially not just religiously, but in terms of culture. You want a ketubah when, you, when you're marrying somebody. 
Shoshana Keats Jaskol um, on Twitter is an Orthodox woman, and she is now leading a kind of a feminist movement within the Orthodox community to create stock photos of religious women. So this article says, um, the practice of not depicting women in some publications in the Orthodox world has long concerned Keats Jaskol, who worries that it reflects a trend in orthodoxy to discourage or forbid women's participation in public life, such as on board of directors or synagogue committees. It's impossible to say at this point, oh, it's just a picture, it's not a big deal. When women are not seen, their voices are not heard, and their needs are not met. So yeah, she's kind of launching this movement um, to kind of show visible photos of Orthodox women within Orthodox communities because obviously representation is directly tied to opportunities and also the erasing of stigma um, and sexism and anywhere it could find, uh, anywhere it could be. That is a huge, huge issue. When I was, you know, stalking these Orthodox pages, I saw that there was a school that refused to um, put pictures of young Jewish girls or in their promotional video, and it was a Jewish school. An Orthodox Jewish school. And they thought, well, you know, maybe it wasn't appropriate. So I really commend all these women who are speaking up. Mm-hmm. Facts. And it seems like like this movement especially has been a lot just about like the people representing themselves, like representing their voices and raising their voices by themselves um, and actually like making a change. Um, the fact that you mentioned that this guy was like hiding out, like what kind of pressure is it creating? I think it's creating a lot of pressure for other, you know, if he's going to be hard-headed and not want to give the get, it's creating a lot of pressure for other men who are withholding a get. And at the end of the day, he's, the goal is to make it not socially acceptable and not have synagogues welcome him. They're saying, if you're a get abuser, like, do not, you're not welcome into this shul. You're not welcome here. And I think the difference is happening because a lot of people were freed because of Chava speaking out. Um, except it's, it's just so sad that she's the one who started this and who came forward with her story. Or someone heard about it and I don't know, went viral, but her get from Naftali Sherbani has still not been granted. So it's ridiculous. I think it's more of a culture thing. It's breaking a culture that exists and it, and reclaiming it because it's it's not halakhically permissible, it's not Judaism. And yeah. I'm a proud part of the diaspora. Speaking of drama in the Orthodox community. Um, I'm wondering, or not in specifically, strictly the Orthodox community, but the more observant community. Um, so I was wondering what you guys thought about, as you well know, Ben and Jerry's uh, created or released shockwaves onto the wider Jewish community in their decision to pull out of business practices uh, in the West Bank and Judea and Samaria, whatever you wish to call it, and the occupied territories, all of the above. Um, and... You know, I was keeping up with the outrage online about it. Personally, I thought that the outrage from the Jewish community was rather ridiculous um, because I did not see this move specifically as anti-Semitic. I do think it was problematic because I think BDS in general is always problematic. Um, And I think it's performative. I don't think it helps anybody. But I do think that what was shameful was the kind of knee-jerk response to it, that it was this crime against humanity and against the Jewish people. It is not a crime against humanity. It is a private company making the decision not to conduct business in a disputed territory that many people find the situation within to be unacceptable. Um, So I thought, you know, I'm sure... 
please tell me your thoughts about that if you agree, disagree. But also, I think another thing that's important is the fact that uh, Kof K, which is uh, the like this major kosher certification network uh, uh, that labels certain foods, whether or not they're up to par with kashrut. Um, in the days since Ben and Jerry's made their announcement, Kof K rescinded the kosher certification of Ben and Jerry's ice cream. And I'm reading this and I'm repeating these words from an article written in the forward by Danny Klein, who's a Zionist, who's an ardent Zionist, who believes that BDS is problematic, who does not agree with Ben and Jerry's position, but says very clearly in the title that kosher certification should not be a political weapon. Whether or not something is kashrut, whether or not something is up to code in regards to... But they're not to- taking off the kosher certification. I, there was an original article in the Jerusalem Post um, that first said this, and um, an Israeli journalist um, re-edited her post. They're not leaving it on their list so people can go out and buy it. They're not advertising it. The Ben & Jerry's box will have a kosher hexer on it, but the Orthodox unions, and I think the one in Australia is the one who, who initially started this, was saying that they uh, are not going to put it on their, they're rescinding their, like, let's you see a list of what's kosher and they're going to advertise it. And on the list of things that are kosher, they're taking it off. I think that's fine. Why should we give them free advertising? I think that, like, that's, first of all, like, important information to know, to dispute, because I also, like, yeah, I didn't know that. seen the first article. It was like, oh, they're removing it, saying it's not kosher. I'm like, what? Like, that doesn't make any sense. It's, mm-hmm. it's still kosher, even though I think it's ridiculous, like what the company did. I don't know. I think it could still be confusing, though, if like there's a list of stuff that's kosher and they're removing something, even though it still is kosher. So I don't know. I don't. I think it's the politicization of it. I think we're we're applying politics as something that should be beyond the reach of whether or not someone agrees with a boycott of settlements in the West Bank. That's extends far past. That's Judaism. Kashrut is Judaism. Kosher food is Judaism. I've seen a lot of kosher stores. Be like, oh, we're not going to sell this product anymore. And I, well, I agree with a, that. Yeah, well, that's a private company making a decision. However— But then I also wonder, like, if Orthodox Union is saying, oh, like, yeah, this is still kosher, but we're not going to advertise it. If that's the way it is, then— So to me, it's not about ice cream, and it's not about boycotting the West Bank. It's about trying to make Israel a pariah state. It's not about ice cream. It's about denying Jewish liberation. It's about, And I know, Blake, you're going to push back on this, but— that's what BDS is. It is an anti-Semitic movement. It's not just problematic. They're trying to disconnect Jews who live in their ancestral heartland from the line. They're trying to play a role in the peace process. Judea, Samaria, the West Bank um, is, it, you know, it like the whole entire area. Um, it has been, it's now controlled under three areas, area A, B, and C, with joint control from the PA and Israeli authorities. So all these internationally ratified you know, treaties like Camp David, Oslo have, you know, decided on this. So why is Ben and Jerry's trying to impede on the peace process? I don't think that their their move is in any way, shape or form, um, you know, positive. And I do think it's anti-Semitic because the reason they're boycotting it is because they don't believe that Jews should be living in Judea and Samaria. And That's it's watering not, down. I don't think that at all. I don't. And this is something that I pushed back on on Twitter this morning where someone said the absurd claim that Ben and Jerry supports like mass eviction of Jews from the West Bank or of settlements and towns living along the 1948 armistice line. And that's just, I don't see any validity. What if they boycotted in- all of Israel? 
Well, that would be different. That would but be. That's what they, that's what they wanted to do. But that would. But they didn't do it, and so that would be because starkly of different. Unilever. I so it's think, about the yes, intent. But and I that's think, why it's important to call them out. But I think, and I think BDS is an anti-Semitic movement specifically because it calls for literally the eradication of the state of Israel. This was a boycott effort, but it wasn't necessarily tied to BDS, in which case it was like a signature on everything that BDS stands for, including the right of return and the dissolvement of the state of Israel. This was Ben and Jerry saying, we are not comfortable selling our product and doing business in this territory where it doesn't even matter taking even the the issue of Jewish settlements out of the equation, there's still an injustice happening there. Whether or not you think that Jews should be allowed to continue building and living there, or whether or not you believe in a two-state solution, a one-state solution, a confederation, whatever, but there's is still the injustice, injustice solely on the hands of Israel? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So why not. is Israel and Israelis and Jews and Palestinians suffering made on this move? Like, of course there's injustice happening. Of course what's happening in the West Bank is wrong. There are things that are wrong that are happening. Whether it's, you know, the this checkpoint, so many things, but why? And I also think it absolves the PA of any, um, you know, uh, of, of anything that's wrong. That's why I do think it is anti-Semitic because it holds the Jewish state, it holds the Jewish state to an unreasonable double standard. And not only does it hold it to a double standard, it doesn't, it absolves any other, you know, actor in this space from anything, any liability. Yeah, like that's the other part. Because if it really is like, oh, like it's a private company making a private decision uh, to not sell in a disputed territory it feels uncomfortable with. Like I'm not denying that the private company has or doesn't have that right to do that. But I also have the right to say, all right, like that that sounds pretty anti-Semitic. Like I can name, <laughs> like you're literally choosing this one disputed territory. And this was also an issue that's happened time and time again in other issues. And this is also, I agree, this is more than ice cream. This is more than it's a slippery slope because it's like that's a very 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 thin shield to stand behind say oh it's just because it's a disputed territory are they going to stop selling in northern cyprus it's occupied by turkey are they going to like where no but they're this not this is but this i mean that you can't compare the west bank and northern cyprus i mean it's yes, apples and, it's apples and oranges this is you a can, but no no but if the reason is if the reason is that it's because it's a disputed territory and there's an unresolved dispute that involves a military force that's there and there's differing opinions about jurisdiction, then you can you can make a similarity claim between right. it. But it's not the same thing as hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people being restricted, being subjected to military law, not civilian law, being subjected to checkpoints, being constrained in regards to freedom of movement. And you, again, this is not solely on Israel's hands. If I were to look at any other decision by a business to pull out of a specific area where an injustice was happening that did not carry with it very sweeping statements that undermined that country's legitimacy, but that only expressed disapproval with what this country was doing in this specific area, I would not have a problem with it. But they don't have to have sweeping statements. And I think that's the way anti-Semitism is evolving because they don't Mm -hmm. need to come out and say, we hate Jews, so we're going to avoid. And and we hate the fact that there's Jewish history. We're going to deny it. So we're not going to But that's not even what they were implying about the West Bank. They never took a... But but here's the reason why I say that as a policy, again, it's more than just ice cream, leans into the territory of, of... being anti-Semitism is because of the double standard that Isabella mentioned. This, whether they say that they're, whether they say all these things or not, like Noah mentioned, it's implicit. The why is there because they wanted to boycott the entirety of Israel. 
And when we're talking about boycotts, and we're talking about, you know, ice cream, it's not about ice cream. It's about the principle. Because if, this, if they were boycotting vaccines, we would be even more mad. But those are two that different, be because those are two different, yeah, completely because, different you know, things. That's a life-saving fun, technology, and then one is chunky monkey. Yeah, but, but it's, it's a, a private slow. company. But it's a private company, so they can do what they want. I just think that we would be in a better position as a community if we took these developments at face value for what they are, being political decisions that we could vehemently disagree with, but at the same time not ring all these alarm bells and say that this is an attack against the global Jewish community because they decided to discontinue business practices in this specific area. And especially... My opinion on that was only heightened and emphasized when all of the cash root drama started and how people were pulling them from stores and whether or not they're listed as kosher, Isabella tells it that they still are, but, you know, not listed as like a recommended or… or On their list. They have a list of things that are kosher and they, they pull them out. But the heksher remains, remains. So if you're, in a, if you're Jewish yeah, and you're in a grocery and store, things you'll like get that, it. Things like that only kind of… But they're of, just not going to advertise it. Things and like I that… Think that's Only okay, but it's showing my... solidarity with the Jews who can't have it there, or and Palestinians. Well, and Palestinians of... too, and that's another thing. I mean, if if one thing takeaways from this is that it's like just a stupid decision. But yeah. again, I don't think it's I, I don't think it's an explicitly anti-Jewish decision. Okay, so on a lighter note, <laughs> I read something this morning, a story this morning from Chabad.org that really made me smile. It made me verklempt. And it was like the first thing that I've read in a while specifically pertaining to the Jewish community that actually made me feel good, um, which should probably change. And that probably says a lot about my social media filter bubble because, in fact, there are things that happen in the Jewish community every day that are good. Um, but this specific story I felt was really meaningful. So there's this man whose name was Jules Clavin, um, and he lived in a remote uh, Alaskan town uh, of Sal- Saldotna, population four. Thousand. There are more people literally on my block. I mean, it might be an exaggeration, but you know what I mean. I live in New York City. Um, so he's 80 years old, or he was 80 years old, and he was terminally ill. Um, and he had never been a part of a Jewish community. There was a very obviously non-existent Jewish community in this uh, small town. Um, but he called, realizing that he was not long for this world. He called the Alaska Jewish Campus, which is listed on the Chabad.org directory, as it should be, as we would expect. Um, and he had a single wish to Rabbi Levi Glit- Glitzenstein. He said, I have three weeks left, Rabbi. I don't have any family with me. And although I wasn't so involved in the Jewish community, um, because he in fact lived, as the website points out, in close proximity to bears, moose, caribou, and sheep, he says, I really want to be buried with my people. Rabbi, can you help me? So the rabbi, Rabbi Levi Glitzenstein, promised Clavin that he would do what he could to arrange a kosher burial. Uh, for the, this website, I'm reading directly here, it says, for the next three weeks, Clavin would call the rabbi every other day. In the course of their cl- conversations, Clavin shared his Hebrew name, which was Yosef ben Eliezer HaKohen, and memories of Jewish life in New England, where he accompanied his grandfather to synagogue services. For a long time, Clavin, a medical therapist, divided his time between Miami and Saldotna, but in recent years had made Alaska his home. His home. Rabbi, will you make sure to come and take me? He'd ask with concern. They arranged a funeral after this man had passed, um, and over 100 Jews who had never met him before, Chabadnik Jews, flew 
um, to this small remote town in Alaska to attend uh, the burial service, um, the funeral service on July 22nd at Anchorage Memorial Park Cemetery in the Jewish section. It says, in addition to Chabad rabbis, the crowd included local community members, tourists, and even the students of a traveling yeshiva camp, which for some reason was in Alaska. Not one person in the crowd had ever met the deceased, but that didn't matter. He was family, a fellow Jew. The special mitzvah of caring for and honoring the dead is referred to as chesed shel emet, kindness of truth. Um, and just the pictures of this were really impactful, um, seeing all these Jews in this random town um, caring for the dead and conducting this service. Um, I just, it really meant a lot to me. Um, and just the way that this article was written, I feel as though it was written with a lot of passion, with a lot of happiness. Um, and I just think it's a beautiful story that I wanted to share with the class. That's but amazing. Yeah. <laughs> that story, that's, that's a beautiful story. It's really beautiful. And it's a testament to it's a testament to Jewish peoplehood, right? Yeah. Jews everywhere are responsible for Jews anywhere. I love it. It reminds me on March of the Living, we went to um, a town called Shipsheshin. There hasn't been a Jew in this town in Poland for since since the Holocaust happened. And we went, and what we did was we cleaned the graves of those who passed. And it, there was a huge Jewish cemetery, and it was unkept. There was weeds everywhere. It was trash. For some reason, there was a bunch of drinks. I don't know if people like would go hang out there. But besides the point, young Jews came and it was really powerful. We came, we cleaned, and we did, I'm not sure the Blake used the word, but the respect of the dead, the, that mitzvah, um, you mentioned it. Oh, yeah. And kindness. Uh, what is it called? It's called kindness of truth. Chesed shel emet. So some chesed shel emet action. And it was super powerful. So we are one. We all are responsible for each other. And it says that even though that Clavin had not lived among Jews or attended services for decades, he remembered the Shema prayer by heart in Hebrew. Wow. Because as one does. I mean, unless you're me and you're under a lot of pressure to say it a couple of months ago and you literally fuck it up, but that's neither here nor there. We won't get into that. That's for another episode. Still have it. I still have sleepless nights about it. I was so humiliated. Anyway. <laughs> We'll need to hear this story at some point. No judgment, like, of course. I was so nervous. I was surrounded. Okay, I'll, we'll get into it. I literally was. It's the one time in my life that I have messed up the schma. Because I was at an event with a lot of very observant people. Um, and I felt very special and humbled to be there. And I felt like it was a very meaningful experience. And of course, me being me, because my life is a goddamn Curb Your Enthusiasm episode. Um, I messed up the Shema. On the it's last, okay. I said Adonai Echad. Um, <laughs> I, even, I can't even remember how I messed it up, but I know I did, and I was distraught afterwards. I was walking home, and I was like dizzy. I was so humiliated. <laughs> the nerves are real, though. Like the Is nerves it? are real. Even like I'm going to put feeling from the Chabad people who are at the hotel, and like I know the prayer, but I'm also like, what if I don't? Well, now like, I have the Sidor app on you know? my phone. I have the Sidor app on my phone, just in case. There you go. And it's better safe than sorry. I'd rather pull out my phone and be like, just a second before I say something rather than say it confidently and mess it up. But listen, as we have discussed, I'm on a, I'm on a journey. This is my journey. This is my experience. This is my, this is my adventure from point A to point B. And I just feel like you guys are really supportive of me. And I'm really grateful for that. This is my impression of a beauty vlogger on, on, on YouTube. 
You've been really just supportive of me on my journey. Hi, friends. <laughs> Hi, guys. Make sure to, today I'm going to put on tefillin and say the correct bracha. Make sure to hit the like and subscribe button below and uh, tell your friends. <laughs> no, but that's real. I have like 30 of those like little pamphlets that they give you at the hotel because I'm like, I know the prayer, but every time they're like, you need it, I'm like, yeah, Oy. just in case. It's like, that's you know. so cute. Have you guys been watching the Olympics? I've been like checking them. The only thing that matters to me about the Olympics is Simone Biles, who we support and we love because she defies the laws of physics with her talent. She's amazing. And second, Tom Daly, because you only need to look up Tom Daly on YouTube and or Instagram and or Twitter to understand why I'm obsessed with Tom Daly. That's the only two things that matter to me. But there has been some drama, some, some, some conflama, some tomfoolery, some shenanigans happening in regards to Israel at the, at the Olympics. No, there's been some, some general drama with Israel and sports in general the past two weeks. I don't know what's going on. But before I get into the bad stuff, I want to hear about the good stuff. The positive things that happened at the Olympics was Saeed Moale, who is um, a judoko player, um, Olympian, he uh, refused to boycott Israel and he was competing on behalf of Iran. And uh, No, that's not true. He, I think he, he was competing on behalf of Mongolia. This year. Oh. This year. But before he was competing on behalf of Iran and he had to seek asylum in Mongolia. Because he would not boycott and the Israeli yes. player who now they're exactly. friends with each other. They're really good friends with each other now. They were friends with each other too. That's why also he didn't boycott them from what I read. So that's amazing. And he also dedicated his win to Israel. Yes, he said that this medal, and then he said Toda when he was like gifted it, mm-hmm. um, gifted it, awarded it, like, gift, like it's like a, like oh, a white <laughs> elephant at the Olympics. Um, yeah, and he said, like, this is dedicated to Israel. Thank you so much, Israel, for your support. Because he literally left Iran because he wanted to compete in international athletic competitions. And he wanted to face an Israeli who was like on par with his level of talent and skill. I mean, that's, that kind of stuff has continued this year. Unfortunately, not everyone was as uh, amazing as um, that gentleman. But basically what happened, so first I want to shout out the people. There are two uh, Israeli Olympians who were um, competing also in judo. One of them, his name was Baruch Shmailov, and the other one's name was Tohar uh, Butbul. And they're both from Khadera. So I just want Ooh. to put that on the map. <laughs> this is confirming what represent. I've said time and time and time and time again. Best place in Israel. Come visit. Um, AKA, like also, you know, also the, the mayor of Khader, you can hire me like marketing. You know, I could do some PR. stuff. Theme song, PR. Let's Ooh. go. Just putting that in there. Yeah, so there are two uh, people who are competing in, in judo um, who are like Israeli athletes, Olympians. And there were actually two people who left the Olympics. They like withdrew from it. Uh, one person competitor from Algeria and one from Sudan saying that like, yeah, like we, you know, have been training for a while for this, but this issue is too big for us to overcome. Like we'll, we'll be fine not competing against these Israeli athletes because we need yeah, to boycott top them. top 10. Yeah, ranked top 10, you know. Yeah. I also want to get, want to get beat up by an Israeli <laughs> judoko athlete. I don't blame them. It's scary. He was a top 10 and I don't know what they were ranked, but I know the one from Sudan was ranked in the triple digits. So. I think it would depend on what the Israeli athlete looked like for me to sign up for getting Well, he's up. also beautiful, that too. Well, okay, so where do I sign up? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, there, there's been a lot of drama with this stuff. And I think that, like, even before that, there was some soccer issues. Um, so there's the… Barcelona. the yeah, with Barcelona. So 
there's a game that was scheduled. It was like a friend called like a friendly, like preseason uh, game between Barcelona Football Club and also Betar Yerushalayim Football Club. Uh, and Betar is one of is one of two teams in Jerusalem, um, and they have somewhat of a controversial history. They went through like a dark period where there were there's a lot of like racism. There's a small like group of fans who were like ultras and would go to the stands and just chant like really, really, really bad racist stuff, uh, predominantly against Arabs. Um, and it was like a really bad stain, like on this on this football team that has had so much. Um, like it's it's a very iconic football team in Israel. They've had like connection. A lot of politicians are fans of this team. Um, and it, like also they're related to like the Betar movement, which had links to Menachem Begin. So like there's a whole culture around it. And this really made like a, a really negative stain on it. But I didn't the know the owner, Irgun had a soccer team. Sorry. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> no, but yeah. So they had like actually a lot of the soccer teams in, in Israel came from different movements. So you have like Hapoel, which is like the labor. I didn't know one. that at all. That's actually yeah. a really cool fun fact. Yeah. So a lot of the culture actually is related to that. So you have a lot of like, there's like the beef that Betar fans have with like Hapoel fans. So the other team in Jerusalem is Hapoel. Because it's like labor versus revisionist Zionism. Yeah. Like originally, like this is sort of how these movements came to be. Do they have like different like techniques of hitting the ball that they call something else? Not like that the, I know of, but they have some interesting chants in the stands <laughs> about shit. the other teams. Um, but also the like Golda Meir goal for the, for the labor <laughs> you know Zionists. The Jabotinsky slide. Sorry. Getting you should start away. it when you're here. You should come to a game and like, <laughs> like market this stuff. So yeah, so, so Betar also, because it's coming from that like Zionism, uh, that aspect of Zionism has like a history of also representing a lot of people who were affiliated with that and also maybe pushed out of the labor movement. So a lot of different fans have talked about how for them growing up, having a team that's fan base was predominantly like Mizrahi was very important to them, like having that sort of representation um, in comparison to some of the other teams from other areas. Uh, but this was like a really a negative stain on it. But in, in 2018, there's a new owner who bought the team, Moshe Chogeg. And uh, he's done so much like amazing work to how like he describes restore the image um, of this. He's actually uh, there was a deal that it didn't end up going through because of like some financial disclosure reason reasons, but like it still might come back. Where um, an Arab Emirati uh, was going to buy like a fifty percent stake in the team, and the owner was was saying, uh, you know, for him he's coming from a Maghrebi family um, from Tunisia and Morocco, and for him it was like really important. He, he gave the statement about how, you know, when you're cheering in the fans, they're cheering Yala Betar, not Kadima Betar. And Yala is, is a word that comes from Arabic that a lot of Mizrahi Jews brought to Israel. Um, so for what he was saying was like, it's, it's a step in like overcoming that sort of bigotry that's been starting to be associated with that team. And, and also like he's filed lawsuits against like some of these crazy fan groups for defaming the team. Uh, he recently banned leaders of like one of these uh, ultra fan groups. Um, so literally wow. their entire identity that's like, oh, we're going to like come and cause trouble at this sports team we claim to support. Like they can't even go to the games anymore. Um, so like I think it's like Melech. really cool. Sounds yeah, like a king. I, it's amazing. Cause like he's, he's really about like, it's, it's, we should be able to support the team of our, uh, you know, capital without, you know, having to deal with this sort of shame, especially because it's coming from such a small but loud group of people. So that's been really cool. Um, but despite all that, you know, that work, 
and all this like controversy that's been overcome. Um, a game was recently canceled between uh, Barcelona and Betar. Um, be under like the pretense that Barcelona was like, okay, we'll still play your team, but we don't want it to happen in Jerusalem. Um, and that was just ridiculous. Like the owner, he released a statement. He said like, he was really thinking about it because obviously this would be like a huge game. A lot of people would have come to this game um, and it would have been like great for business and image and, and promotion and, and just for the players in general. Uh, but he decided like, it's not right for me. Like I've fought, what is his exact statement is like, uh, he said that he's fought a war against racism. And at the end of the day, he's like a, a Jew and a Zionist and a proud Israeli. And he, he sounds doesn't believe like in a, compromising that. He sounds like a legend. What's his name? Moshe Chogeg. Love him. Is yeah. he on Instagram? <laughs> he on I'm not sure you can. Is he on LinkedIn? I might have a couple words. You can you can check. He's he on uh, WhatsApp. I mean, you can follow football, the Betar, Betar Jerusalem Football Club. You know, you can. I, I'm going to think of memes later on and text you guys in our group chat. I'm going to be like thinking of like moves to do in soccer named after like specific political Zionist. And I, the reason why I can't think of any right now is because I don't know any moves in soccer off the top of my head. But like, what, like, what, what are some soccer moves that you could do? I'm going to think of some. I'm going to think of some. I like the, the goal, goal to goal. The goal That's to goal favorite. is good. I just bought on Amazon, not on Amazon. I bought on Redbubble this enormous poster of her. I'm moving into a new apartment right after I come home from Israel. By the way, I'm going to be in Israel. Yeah, we should hang out. Um, and yeah. I'm going to, I I bought this enormous poster of her. And my new apartment is a shoebox. My, my mattress is going to take up like 40% of the room. And this poster is going to take up like 60% of the wall space. And you know what? I say good. It's a good thing. I say good. Represent. Also, speaking of this new apartment, when I was touring said studio last week in Manhattan, on the island of Manhattan, randomly, outside the apartment, when you leave out the back door, there's this little outdoor courtyard area, you know, where you can put, like, your bike and everything. Randomly, on the ground, was a fucking menorah. Oh, I saw your story that. It was literally a menorah that was just chilling on the ground. In July. And I mean, and then I got the, I didn't know I had the apartment then, but then I got the email a day later that it was mine, that I had, you know, my application was chosen. What does that mean? It's a sign. I'll tell you what it means. It means that the Vatican's days are numbered. (laughs) (laughs) It means it's a sign. It's a signal. Listen, objects in the mirror may be closer than they appear. The menorah, Mashiach, (laughs) Rosh Hashanah, and the menorah. Everything's coming to us a lot faster than we think it is. Just like the Mashiach, rescuing the menorah is imminent. It is imminent. It's going to be in our hands very, very soon. I think you should probably tune in next week because we're going to, I think we should devote an entire episode to actually sitting down and drafting the blueprint. Like, we can Mission Impossible, like, backflip over the lasers that are inevitably going to be in the Vatican basement. You know what? So you, you just helped me make this connection, okay? So obviously, I think the whole reason Barcelona wanted to not do the game with Betar is because they didn't want to play in Jerusalem. That's their cover for it. The real reason is because on the crest of Betar Yerushalayim's logo is a menorah, and they're somehow in on it. They don't want to bring more attention to the menorah. They don't want more people to realize that it's Spain there. Spain was a part of the Roman Empire. The Iberian Peninsula was Roman-occupied territory, which means that those, those people 
they know something that we don't. Well, guys, I guess I'll see you next week. See y'all next week. <laughs> Yalla. I'm a proud part of the diaspora. In my heart, a whole Jerusalem and Africa. Kicked aside of our land and started gassing us. Till we put our foot down, cause we had enough. Check out the flag that I'm waving. Two blue stripes and a huge star, David. Check out the flag that I'm waving. Keep shooting rockets, but you never go.